Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. All opinions are those of the speakers. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Welcome, everybody, to the 64th uh, Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum podcast. And as is our specialty, um, we're going to take this pickup and drive it right into the ditch today. Um, <laughs> we're going we're to introduce you to Aaron Lucas um, of Aaron Lucas Tonewoods. And we have a, well, we'll go ahead and make the announcement right now, is that Aaron has supplied wood for one of four master guitars that Richard is producing for January NAM. And I can only imagine that these are going to be the four finest acoustic guitars in the world. And uh, Aaron is uh, part of this project. So as uh, we near things and get a little closer to that date. I'm sure we're going to start to see pictures of it. But right now, um, we can tell you that that's going to happen in January. Uh, Aaron, welcome in. Um, we're, we're really excited to have you. Uh, we're going to talk, uh, as we have been, we're going to talk a little tone, little tone wood and a little bit of history. So um, welcome. Good to be here. So let's start, uh, Aaron, uh, talk about where you are and how you got involved in, in wood and in tone woods. So I'm in, uh, I'm located outside of Charleston, South Carolina, um, you know, wanting to have a family and having a wood shop in downtown Charleston didn't work when we had, had first gotten married. Um, and Somerville's really close. Um, and it's just, it's, it's nice because it's, it's a little, little more relaxed than the Charleston area and not quite as expensive. Um, and so for over 10 years, I've been building a, a woodworking company. Um, I'm a lifelong woodworker, but I'm also a lifelong musician. And I've always had a large, you know, in, a big fascination with learning and just discovery. Um, and I think that, you know, is, is great in, in any aspect of anything. Um, uh, but, but wood has always held a special place for me. My father was a general contractor and cabinet maker and, you know, he'd build furniture for the family and all this stuff. And so I've always been around it. Um, and as I grew into adulthood and, and started kind of honing in what I wanted to do, woodworking has always been a part of it. And I had one path chosen. I was going to be a professional brewer. Um, and I went to school and did an apprenticeship and, um, came back to Charleston to help open a, a brewery with my brother. Um, and, you know, within a couple of years, realized that that was not the, the path that I, I wanted to go on. So I, I, I fell back into my um, creativity in a, in a different way than, than brewing is, um, which had been driven by close friends that were chefs in Charleston. Um, so, you know, always being around the creativity and trying to look at things a little different. Um, so I was running my woodworking business. Um, I had the opportunity to come on as general manager at one of the last or the last sawmill in our area. Um, now, a bunch of backyard sawmills have popped up with the advent of these, you know, pull behind um, kind of wood miser little sawmills. And I don't think people realize <laughs> what they're getting into. I'm going to do urban lumber. I'm going to take trees. And that's all well and good, dude. But once you have, you know, 80 or 90 trees stacked up in your yard and it's raining and you got to get on the bottom stack and you don't have a forklift, what are you going to do? Um, so, you know, it's, it's, and I've got buddies that, that do it and, and are moderately successful at it, but they quickly learn that you got, it's a big undertaking with sawmills and to, to, to be able to sustain, you know, several families, it, it takes a lot. So I had the opportunity um, to take over and help bring a sawmill kind of out of the dark ages, it was third, third generation sawmill, the, the third generation was taken over and we were working to get the, the custom wood shop up and running, you know, custom milling for people, um, <clears throat> Baker sawmills for anybody out there that's familiar with, with sawmills, Baker's a, a fantastic brand and 
we ordered their first, their largest custom sawmill ever built for um, uh, for North America. And it was massive. I think the bed on it was 40 feet long. Um, it could cut like 32 or 34 feet with the, you have the start of the chassis and then where the blade would end about, you know, eight inches from the stops. Um, it could do 72 or 74 wide and the carriage would ride nine high. Wow. Um, and a lot of that was driven from the idea of, uh, you know, the, the slabs that, that people are, are really after these days, especially interior design with long, nice countertops and stuff like that. Why are we going to butt joint slabs together of different stuff if we can cut them and give you your 20 foot countertop out of a single slab of wood? Um, and so, you know, I, I did that for a few years. And if anybody's been to South Carolina, you know, we're a different heat than in California in the summertime. Um, and it, it's hot. Um, and all of this was outdoors and running kilns and doing this and doing that. And right, right before I had started, um, we had the, the owner had become involved with a local diver for who for over 10 years had been doing research in um, literally in our, our area um, for sawmills, tracing them as back, back as far as um, records would go. Um, and I think he can, you know, based off of logs that he has found in Great Britain, um, captain's or, or captain's logs and inventory logs, um, you can trace timber back to sawmills here in the Charleston area. Um, and a, what a lot of people don't think about, you know, they think that, uh, you know, the new world was gold and, and land, but by the time people started wanting to to come and look at for north america a lot of the old growth forests were gone all that virgin timber in the uk and spain and france was 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 gone <laughs> and everything was driven by the shipping industry which at the time was wooden vessels um as um richard you know knows uh the four four hundred acres four, richard four 400 virgin acres to build a British man of war. Um, and the 400. Whole, <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of material. Um, and the whole eastern seaboard up to um, the Smoky Mountains and Adirondacks was just timber all the way to the Midwest. And it was old growth forests. Um, <clears throat> and we had a couple of fantastic species, three main ones. Um, we had the longleaf pine, which grew super tall um what we what we think of now as real heart pine um and it's not just you know this board has heart on it but the the if you just cross cut the tree the majority 75 percent of it would be heartwood um and you know we're not talking like your modern timber of two two rings an inch you know we're talking 20 25 rings an inch <laughs> um for uh for for growth on them but just behemoth trees and then the live oak and and the bald cypress and the the pine was really good for masts and and general building the live oak would be great for internal structures the ribbing structure and internal frame um we have a couple of different live oaks we have these i've got a few of them in the yard um but they're these giant straight monsters that are, are water oak pin oak but they're live oaks um really good beam material and then we have the kind of grand live oaks if anybody's heard of the angel oak, um, it's, it's a famous tree here in the Charleston area. And they just, they, the, the trees, they're squat trees that are really wide and the limbs go out and then will sag down, but they're arced. So you, you don't have to worry about build laminating things together for curved joints. Um, and then the bald cypress has especially dense old growth bald cypress has really, really good um, qualities for out, outdoors. It's uh, bug and rot resistant, natural oils in it, you know, deter bugs, but then also repel water. Um, and so a lot of the colonization was after uh, that timber. So the timber industry was obviously all around us, 
um, and you had to a point where, you know, okay, well, there's no timber within the shore. Um, so you have people moving inland and the, the logs were floated down the waterways. So the, the diver had been doing research, tracing old rail spurs and even upstate where people had had sawmill operations that were based off of, you know, based on rivers um, and log ponds that were cut out off the sides of these rivers um, to figure out, um, you know, where can we find material from a time period um, that is going to give us the heart pine that we look for. And so he would dive for it. Um, South Carolina has some pretty strict limitations on, um, on river salvaged materials. And, you know, you have to come in and you have to do surveys. You have to see if you're going to have an, you know, effect on the environment. You need to see if there's any archeological importance, anything, um, from native peoples, um, that might be disturbed. Um, and then once all that's done, then you can, so you do your, your surveys, which, you know, cost money. And then you, um, if you're approved for your little section of, of a waterway or part of a, one shore, you know, so much of a, of a, of a, the side of a lake, um, once you're approved, you go and get your, uh, license or your permit for a year or two. Um, and then you can start moving equipment and manpower in and hope that your surveys, and sonar work have led and you know you dive and that kind of stuff um lead you to wood that isn't rotten and crap um and then you know hopefully by this point after all that money spent um you get some timber that's good so the at the mill they're after heart pine and sinker cypress um and it's a it's a slow process these these logs are typically you know there's a reason that they have sat somewhere for over 100 years um, most axe cut stuff dated no later than about 1905, 1910. Um, and that's around the time that the last, um, large bald cypress virgin stands were gone. Oh. Um, there is a, I cannot remember him. I will try and find a link for you. Um, there is a, uh, a scientist, <laughs> um, who his main thing, and it's in, it's Blackwater. It's in North Carolina. It's the Congaree, um, Congaree Champions or Congaree National Forest. Um, and it's the one of the last old growth stands of bald cypress. And he has um, dendrochronolo dendrochronology, uh, the science of tree ring studying and looking at, you know, environmental aspects and all of this. Um, he's dated a number of trees that are still standing, living 2,600 years old. Um and they'll hit, I think they'll get about 180 feet tall. So I, I kind of like to think of them as the East Coast's redwoods. Yeah, it sounds um, like it. You know, they're not they're not 300 feet tall, but they're they're big trees. Um, and so one summer I'm standing in what was our showroom. Um, and I just wanted to get out of the heat. You know, it's 187 degrees with 200 percent humidity and we would process some material. So we were, we were really small staffed and what that means to someone who's unfamiliar with sawmills is we were not an automated sawmill. We were partially automated. There were feed belts that came off of the saw. Everything else was hand done. They were hand stacked, hand sorted, hand stickered. Um, those piles would then be banded, marked, put into a shed to air dry. Um, and you want to do a year. We have really high moisture in the air. So, you know, it slows down the drying process, which is really good as long as it's not in direct sun because the South Carolina sun and, and weather will make wood explode. Um, so because we're not automated, we were trying to saw all the time and trying to process. And what ended up happening was that just due to not having hands to do this stuff, things would dry for two to three years before they would go into one of the two kilns. Um, and I, I operated the kilns. It was back kiln and then a, a dry kiln. And with wood like sinker products or heart pine, you have to be very delicate. So I always went at wood drying with the kind of thought process of doing it like barbecue, just really low and really slow and really gentle because I can do it quick, but we increase the chance of damaging materials and therefore decreasing our yield. So why not spend a little more time 
you know, taking our time drying this stuff and bug killing it um, to ensure that we have a, a higher yield. Um, so I'm, you know, we've got slabs and all of this stuff. And um, we had a number of six foot wide um, sinker cypress slabs, wow. trees that we had cut up. They were just gorgeous. Just these massive, massive things. Um, and I had, I tried to keep materials stood up so that people could see examples of species because people and people, I guess, don't really don't realize the natural trees that we have growing. Now, they might not, they might have been growing here for 150 years, but, you know, weren't ne necessarily from here, but have now become a part of this. Um, so I tried to keep them up all the time. And one that was up was, it was about a six foot wide heart slab of uh, sinker cypress. So I come out of the heat and I'm standing there and I, you know, just my brain shuts off and I'm staring and all I just start seeing guitar shapes on this slab and I'm looking at it. I'm like, man, that looks like a soundboard. You know, I've got three or four guitars hung up in the house. Um, and so I said, okay, well, that's pretty cool. Um, and started that process, that thought started because this, the, at this point, COVID has just hit. Mm. And there are, nobody wants to work at a sawmill, you know, like it's hard work. Um, you think about moving not, not dry, kiln dried lumber that's nice and dry. We'll try doing it right off the damn tree, you know, when it's completely like high summer wood instead of middle of winter wood, that wood is wet and is heavy. Um, and so that's already difficult, but then the sawmills kind of away from town and we're not a densely populated area. Um, so getting employees there was very, very difficult. So I started trying to figure out, okay, well, if we're already slow at doing stuff, um, can, how can we change what we're producing to increase profit margins? And after I saw that, I said, well, I wonder if we, do we have tone woods here? You know, I know all the tone woods have to be, you know, from South America or Africa or, or up North where it's cold, but we're subtropical so you know that uh, mexico you know parts parts of south america i feel like some of our species might work and we got maple all over the place and sycamore and so i started looking and we had 14 species on site that somewhere within the luthier world with multiple points of reference not just one guy somewhere saying yeah this wood's great um, you know, multiple points, I came up with 14 species. So I started bringing material home and processing it um, to start getting it to shapes and sizes of plates um, for back and side sets. And at the same time, I keep seeing this cypress. And I said, man, I wonder if bald cypress is a viable tone wood. Um, so we had, you know, a tree that had had come down two years before um, from I think about a mile and a half from the mill and then we had cypress that had been underwater at that time you know no idea about timelines um, cypress that had been underwater um, for long enough that through a six-foot tree with no real heart checking it was a solid dark green and sometimes this emerald gray green um, <clears throat> and so I, I tried to gather as many samples as I could to start you know figuring out and collecting data to see if cypress was a viable um a viable wood sorry that was a very long um thing is there any you have any questions about any of that uh no it's fascinating i mean I, prior to the tone woods what was your primary um market focus i mean who was who was buying this lumber that this so before i was there um it had a few years before he had switched from what's called green sales mm -hmm. to for in, industrial use or you know if we have extra sawing <clears throat> stuff to the side people would come up and buy it for fences and random projects and all that but nothing was bug killed yeah cribbing um, and and miscellaneous yeah um yeah. or you need decking and and so that that's pretty much what was driving it and my job was to get us back into because i think the early nineties is when they had switched. 
So for, you know, 20 years, they had gone over to the green stuff. Um, and my job was to get us to the custom woodworkers, to the cabinet makers, um, to the people that, that wanted, you know, V groove paneling out of weird woods and, um, <laughs> and then your hobbyist and so on and so forth, general contractors. And, um, so, you know, we got into timber framing, um, we <clears> got <throat> into, um, you know, working with some contractors that do larger scale stuff and big projects. Um, so, you know, it was, it wasn't just the guy coming and looking for three boards. Um, it was in some cases, truckloads of stuff. Um, and that was, that was, you know, great. Cause I would work with everything from the, the guy who has never, you know, touched a hammer in his life. And, and I have a, a number of people who have become friends, you know, here years later, um, that started out not knowing anything and now, you know, regularly kind of call and check in and say, Hey, I got this new project I'm working on. You know, what do you think? Is this, is this a good idea? And <laughs> so up to guys that are phenomenal, you know, woodworkers with really well-known names in, in the Charleston area. Um, so that's, you know, that's, that's fun. And it, it got me tied into a woodworking community because I'm, I'm somewhat of a homebody. My wood shop's always been at home. Um, I'm okay with, you know, listening to my audio books and, and just kind of doing my thing. Um, my wife doesn't necessarily think so. Uh, <laughs> you need socialization, you know, come on, <laughs> you need to interact with some people. Um, and so that's well, hence, hence the brewing. Yeah. Right. You know, cause I was really social when she and I first got together, I was a very social individual. Um, and you know, so now I've, I've kind of, I'm, I'm back to my, my, um, non extremely social world but what i've what i've fallen into in the last few years from my perspective is hyper specialized and i feel like you know when i want to have in-depth conversations it's really hard in my area to find people because there's not really a woodworking community really well, no sorry there's not a luthier community in the trust oh. area yeah or luthery community um there are there are places you can get repairs and setups and stuff like that done and i think there's a couple of builders but there's nowhere to you know go hey i want to apprentice with you and i still need to make a living to pay for my children um you know so um reaching out and i think covid helped push um that to an extent with the amount of like these zoom meetings and i don't remember any of that kind of stuff necessarily being really popular before covid um and online classes seem to have popped up a lot more um but reaching out around the world and especially with facetime and all of this you know if you have a a problem or a question for somebody it's not let me explain this to you over the phone it's like hey look this is what i'm you know dealing with and it's <clears throat> it's it's super helpful and so i have that's my socializing nowadays is um is is to be people on the other side of the country or over in Europe and that kind of stuff. Just, you know whatever I, did, I had a guy an old buddy from school last night um messaged me and he from high school and he said hey man my wife and I are coming down I'd love to see you and check out the shop and um we're coming down tomorrow and uh, I figured you know seeing and, and get a beer or something maybe nine o'clock at night and I'm like no dude that's that's my bedtime I'm not doing that kind of thing I'm sorry I haven't seen you but not in the middle of the week maybe on the weekends. Um, so yeah. Um, so, so how long have you been processing and promoting the Tonewoods now? Um, coming up close to five years. Okay. At it. Okay. And um, how many different species are you offering? Oh, well, so right now all I'm offering is the bald cypress. Ah, I'm okay. Building a stock and it's, so I'm, I'm actually Aaron Lucas guitars working towards well i'm aaron lucas designs working to switch over to aaron lucas guitars aaron lucas designs has fed you know helped to feed the family um for over a decade <laughs> and in leaving the sawmill a couple years ago i can't just we don't have the income for me to just flip over to guitars nor who nobody knows who i am in regards to that so who's going to buy an instrument there's nobody here for me to go to this will help change that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Hopefully. Um, you know, there, there's there's nobody for me to go apprentice with here. 
Um, so it's a slow process of switching over because I have to make a living, you know, as how many hundreds and hundreds of luthiers around the world make a living until the guitar stuff can support you. Um, and when I was trying to figure out about the Cypress, you know, I, I, I have a bad, ha I might be a bad habit. Um, I have a habit of if there's something I want to learn about, I tend to buy 30 to 40 books on it. And I try and get the books that relate to the subject matter that come from if I can find any sort of a <clears throat> curriculum, as it were. Yeah. Um, and, I, you know, the, the American Luthier Guild um, has a good list of the Big Red Book. Um, and then there are some places out there where I found lists of books. And within the, the Big Red Book, there were names that kept popping up. And so I'm reading and reading and reading and reading. And I'm, I'm like, I think that Bald Cypress is a viable tone wood. I have compared it to all of the other species on weight, density, elasticity, all of this stuff, and it falls within parameters. <laughs> and as we start losing old growth timber, you know, there, why continue at the rate? Because you read these, especially like in the Big Red Book series, you read articles from the 70s about guys complaining about how 20 years before guys were complaining about the issues of consistency of quality and quality, you know, standards of quality falling. And then in the 90s, those same guys are talking about how, man, I wish it was the 70s again when I had good material. <laughs> um, and, you know, unless there's a shift in, in the logging industry and in forward thinking, you know, we're obviously going to run out of this old timber because 300 to 500 years for these trees. Um, and so with the sinker, a lot of the sinker cypress was from old growth forests and depending, and some people will say, okay, it's been underwater for however long it has become part of the natural habitat. Um, if it's an ax cut lost from a log float or fall up, you know, fall off a train and end up in the river, um, it can be considered waste, like garbage thrown into a river. Um, but the, these trees, um, are of a age and a density, um, that match and coincide with, with our, with our spruces, be it the Adirondack spruce, um, <clears throat> you know, the red spruce or getting up into Sitka or your Engelman and stuff like that. So, um, to gather my data outside of, you know, <clears throat> um, to anybody who's, who's flipped lumber to any extent, you know, you go into a lumber yard trying to get how many two by fours at Lowe's do you have to look through to find a straight two by four? Um, and out of that, when you start picking up hardwood, you start noticing density differences and so on and so forth. And what we can't just say that Sitka spruce is a, is a good, it's a, the species is good, but every Sitka spruce tree you see is not a good, um, you know, good tonewood tree. And that's something that was reiterated over and over and over in these books. Um, but if you're trying to introduce a species that the average, you know, the average, what has happened to the wood while it's underwater? Because people are using salvaged and reclaimed stuff. Um, but it's not like somebody in 1850 cut a tree down, took half the tree and, you know, cryogenically sealed it and then put the other one in the bottom of a river under pluff mud and said, all right, in 2020, we're going to pull these out and we're going to do some comparisons and see, see what has happened. Um, so trying to find a baseline was difficult on what, what am I, what am I looking for outside of tactile? Um, and I think I had 16 different logs that I pulled material from, from, you know, a two-year-old modern to the longest submersion time possible, which at the time we didn't, we didn't know what it was. So we were guessing 600, 600 to a thousand year old, um, you know, log that's, that's underwater just based off of the width or the diameter of the log and 
when you think about, I like to use the comparison of a, um, a whiskey barrel and how long using just convection, you know, natural heating and cooling, does it take for all that whiskey in that 55 gallon barrel to, to go up, touch the stave, penetrate the stave and then come back in how many cycles? And that is open liquid. So if we're talking about something solid like a log, how long does it take to penetrate into this log when you're talking three feet? You know, um, <clears throat> the divers guesstimate was um, around 200 years. If the heart of the tree is not rotten, if it's not hollow on the inside, so you're getting, you know, contact from the from the heart of the tree and the exterior of the log. Um, <clears throat> 200 years to get two to four inches of greening into it. Um, and then it just slowly would work its way in and through. Um, so I'm reading all of these different books and I get the idea to, well, I've seen some names. I'm going to send some people some wood. I'm going to contact some guys. And there was, there was one, you know, um, Roger Seminoff kept popping up as, as an expert in, in tone woods and Irvin Samaji. And I had read Mr. Samaji's books. And so I, <laughs> being me, um, just not, and, and honestly, not really knowing who I was contacting, um, picked up the phone and, and called, <laughs> and, um, you know, ended up sending samples, um, to people, um, Mr. Simonoff and Mr. Samaji and, and other people around, around the world. Um, I was, we had, ha our third child was born. We were sitting in the hospital. My wife and my wife had had a, a cesarean and we were sitting in there in recovery and i had sent some wood up to adam at allied luthier the luthier luthery um adam bushwald bushwald sorry adam if i said that wrong um i'd sent some to him and i'd sent some to uh chris alvarado driftwood guitars um chris popped up because he kept having alternate tone wood he has a good youtube presence and and alternate tone woods um so i said oh this is good guy and see about his opinion. So, um, I called him sitting in the, in the, <laughs> in the hospital room with my newborn daughter, uh, like, man, I need to, I want to send you some wood, Chris, and, and I need to get your input on it. So, you know, I, I sent wood out to guys and, and what I did is I sent wood of varying ring density, um, varying overall weight and, varying overall color because bald cypress can be blonde but typically leans more towards a kind of caramely color um, and then depending on if as richard earlier you i think you mentioned trees you see them growing in swamps right the big bald cypress a lot of them will grow in standing water but then like spruce a lot of them like to be right next to the bodies of water um, but when we're looking at sinker cypress, which ones are the ones that were never in growing in the standing water and which ones are growing in the standing water? And I'm, I'm, I think I've gotten close to figuring that out. But at the end of the day, the sinker changes a lot underwater and it, it's, it's hard to tell. Um, but to say, all right, out of these eight to 12 samples that I've honed down, which ones do you, you know, do you like? Um, and I said, well, I'm, I'm going to build guitars. And I had left the, <clears throat> left the sawmill. I'm going to build guitars. I'll build furniture. Um, and hopefully I've made a good choice with, you know, fingers crossed that, cause I think it's good, um, out, outside of, um, getting people's opinions. I started purchasing um, tone woods for again, tactile comparison. Um, and cause you can, you can do data points and you can do all of this, but a lot of times, you know, having it in your hand makes mm -hmm. a, a big, big difference. Um, so I bought as many master grade species of, um, Sitka spruce, Adirondack, German, Italian, um, redwood, um, Western red cedar, Engelman, um, and then um, for comparison, 
And back in side sets, I started buying high grade species from Tonewood suppliers that I could use to compare against the back in side set material um, that I ended up with here um, for local species. <coughs> um, which I, I say that that is research reasons so that I can justify my wood hoarding. Yeah, that, that, I, yeah, that I get. <laughs> <laughs> With, I even did a little YouTube video about, um, about wood hoarding. So the, the end goal eventually, um, in addition to the offering bald cypress, um, is to offer tone woods not so much on a national or for, for, for normal stuff, not so much on a national level, but more to help, you know, kind of foster a, a community here in the Charleston area. Cause you know, LMI's closing. Yep. So now we've got Stumac. We've got a, we've got some, some tone wood suppliers, you know, there's 20, 30, 40 of them, um, <clears throat> but they're all out West or they're in, um, the northern Midwest, and there's nobody here that if you know it's all going line, you can't go. I, I am a big proponent of putting hands on materials before I'm willing to spend a lot of money. Um, and unfortunately, I, I can't, you know, I can't do that all the time. So, but having wood here for people that want to build, we've got wood two, two woodworking schools, three woodworking schools here. Um, you know, fine woodworking, traditional hand tool woodworking um why not instrument building you know um it's it's interesting that you you ordered all this wood i mean one of the things that i know is that the grading process for tone woods generally is aesthetic yeah. uh it's not really based on its buildability or its quality in terms of you know some kind of numerical analyzation of different factors of that piece of wood uh, although there is a, a company that's attempting to do that right now to right. Uh, come up with all those numbers and then be able to list them all so that when you're looking at the top online, you'll know what its various, you know, Young's elastic messes. Yeah. Or that. But, uh, and, you yeah. know, we, you, you can look that, you know, everyone's take notes, take notes, take notes, take readings, take notes. Yeah. And over the length of your career, hopefully by the time you retire from it, you will have dialed in the numerical data for what it is that creates your sound. Right. And you'll figured out what works for you. Um, someone who I reached out to <laughs> when I found myself with a entire truckload of 25 to 35 year old Amazon Rosewood and Coca-Bolo um, at a real an unmentionable price. Um, I, if, if you're in YouTube and you start looking up Tonewood, um, for me, there's only one person who ever consistently came up and that's Tom Sands. Um, and you know, he has, if, if there's anybody out there that ever wants just great, you can see visuals and, and get input and, you know, the industry standard that is in databases, um, but then applied to a hands-on set Tom's YouTube channel. Um, in the Tommy Tonewood series, I think he's up to 70 different species of wood that he talks about. Um, I reached out to him um, in regards to, hey, you know, you're a high-end builder um, and I've got all this really valuable wood, but I don't want to screw it up sawing it, you know? Um, and I, I reached out to Tom to, to, for that reason, but now Tom's become a good friend um, and Tom also has been super helpful in giving his opinion, um, of what, what is a good tone wood? What's not a good tone wood? he just did a video recently, um, from one company, their lowest grade to their top absolute grade, um, <clears throat> uh, tone wood or soundboards, I uh, feel a European spruce, um, and then he did a blind, um, a blind test for feel and tap tone on it. Um, and, uh, you know, watch the video. It's pretty cool. Um, and it goes, you know, right in line with what you're saying. 
um, which is another another thing about the industry that's slightly fresh. I get the aesthetic beauty of a pristine top, but trying to be mindful of how difficult it is to get that top, how many sets of wood, you'll, you'll see these postings on eBay or in different places of old discarded Martin tops, old discarded this from production factories, that the wood's phenomenal wood, but there's a little wiggle in the grain or something, or there's a little off color streak. And so it was thrown to the side, never used. So we're seeing that, that managed to be saved somehow. How much phenomenal wood that didn't look master grade, that had better tonal properties than master grade, ended up getting thrown into the trash bins over the past 120 years. Oh, um, it, yeah, that's scary. You know, or, or, um, or Gibson or Gibson made it into sunburst tops. Right. And that's, you know, that's another uh, another way to. Do it. <laughs> um, but it's, it's something to go think about. So Tom just finished um, <clears throat> his first guitar out of the Bald Cypress, the ancient Sinker Bald Cypress. Um, and the wood that he used radiocarbon dated to um, seventeen hundred and sixty five years underwater. Um, so it's old yeah. and Tom had the, the customer wanted to come in and he paired it with ball Oak, English ball Oak. Um, but Tom, you know, is lucky to work really close with customers. Um, and she came in and wanted to choose everything. And so Tom had, I think he had about a dozen sets of the ancient Cypress. And this is what I think something that's really helpful. If you look at the guitar that Tom produced, the, the top set that was chosen was chosen by the customer. And it's, it's in line with the middle of the sound hole and up in the upper bout. So it's almost, you know, it's negated, but there's a couple little pin knots in it. And, you know, that would have never made it into a production anywhere because of pin knots, but she liked the wood. She liked the look of it. She liked that it wasn't pristine. Um, <laughs> and so trying to get around and you've seen a, you know, a, a lot with sinker material. I know Santa Cruz does a lot with, you know, they've the ancient Sitka that they've done, um, the sinker redwoods, the sinker Western red cedars, um, all of these discolored tops that people are. And then is it Martin that has the line that's all the sinker mahogany, Vince Gill or somebody? It, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah, they're starting it. It's, um, but the you know the, you've got all of these sinker discolored woods that don't match the um, what the industry has been pushing for a hundred years that that falls from the master to apprentice pristine old world mentality um, of materials. But then read about Stradivarius and you know yeah. pull a fretboard off and there's a big knot. And the necks attached with a nail. So it's like, what the hell is that? Well, no, no, no. Stradivarius did not attach necks with a nail. That was probably a repair guy. Uh. <laughs> well, well, I, I think mean, so. I'm just wondering how many guitars have now been built with the Cypress tops. I mean, uh, has has there been some feedback on on its workability? I mean, the Cypress have issues with runout, like spruce, some of the spruces do. Um, no, I mean, it's all locked. So <clears throat> it grows really, really nice and straight. Okay. Um, I went, um, I, unfortunately, if I look at a body of water, I get motion sick. And I have three little kids and they love roller coasters and teacup rides and I can't do any of it. Um, so unfortunately, I can't dive for material. Um, so I have a diver that I work with exclusively. Um, and I looked at a log recently and it was 20, <clears throat> 22, 23 foot log. And it had surface checking, right. From, from drying. It happens on the exterior of any and all logs as you, you know, if the bark or sapwood's gone, you, you see these surface checks and you can tell if a tree grew in a spiral, if there's issues by following surface checks and <clears throat> with the naked eye i could see about 16 feet and follow one surface check down the length of this log so when you start getting into two foot sections you know like no run out at all and i <laughs> i like things to stay together and you know richard 
um, Richard Richard bought a, a, a chunk of sets, and that I, before I sent I sent samples to them. And one thing I wanted to show because of that run out question um, was the lack of run out. So I, I sent Richard sets with pieces taped to them that that were break off angle set angle portions that showed you the full length of it. It was it was perfect. No run out on the whole thing. Um, <clears throat> a number of people I've only in, in the long research of it all i found one guy who had built steel string acoustics there's a guy in florida who's building cigar box guitars with it yeah. <clears throat> but he's just he's using um just sinker cypress <clears throat> um no just whatever sinker sinker he can get um this guy actually bought material the the guy that i'm that built the steel strings um it was bald rock guitars I think he was in upstate New York and he, he was down in South Carolina and bought material from the partner of the old diver at the sawmill. He was there looking one day and, and bought some chunks, took it back to a shop and he built, I think six sinker Cypress guitars out of it. Unfortunately, two years ago, he was um, on his tractor on his property and the tractor turned over and, and he passed away. Um, <clears throat> so I was never, by the time I found him and, and vocally was comfortable with really, really discussing, um, and it came back to me, oh yeah, I need to contact this guy. Um, I found out that he had, he had passed away. Um, so other than that, I don't know of anyone who had built with it. <clears throat> um, Virgil Pion, sorry, Virgil, if I said that wrong, um, in France, of blind guitars um, was the first one to finish with my material. And he did a, a jumbo or a J 200. Uh, uh -huh. I don't remember his back inside material. Um, <clears throat> it's a, it's on his, it's within his Instagram um, page. And um, it is fantastic. I thought, well, through conversations, and a very, very fortunate, you know, continued contact with Mr. Samaji and Mr. Siminoff, um, <clears throat> that uh, the consensus was that the material, the, the, the sinker bald cypress um, has a lot of properties similar to Engelman spruce, but has more headspace and volume of the Sitka. So from a, a, a workability side, it's soft and there's a big um, difference between the early wood and late wood. Like if you dry, if you cross grain it with a razor blade, you're going to go da, 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 um, you'll hit, you'll, you'll feel, feel the, um, the breaks in it. Um, but <clears throat> um, it has, you know, it has the delicate properties of the Engelman from a, you know, uh, a sound perspective of once it's built with an instrument, but you can get really loud and you can get the sound really big with it. Um, and Virgil's got a great um, recording of it and it just, the instrument just booms. Um, but then at the same time, it's nice and delicate. Um, and so that was the first one. Well, I had the first one, but I'm not, I'm, I don't call myself a, a luthier yet. Um, and mine was modeled on a J45 um 1947 um and i paired mine with tzalam um and it is uh grows on the yucatan peninsula um and is known as sabiku is another word for it um or horse flesh mahogany it looks similar to walnut or koa's uh, has some figure to it. Um, and it's, a, it's a big sound. I know what's, you know, can be worked on, on the guitar to help correct the sounds. Yeah. Um, and then, so it was me and then Virgil and then Tom Sands. And then, um, as soon as Santa Cruz, um, gets it, gets it done. And so that is really the only 
I th- you know, there's people out there. Tom pushed me. He's like, you know, this material is fantastic and I think you should get it to the luthier community. And my concern was I'm a little guy. I don't have a voice within the instrument world. Who am I? Um, I need to kind of keep my cards to my chest um, until my instruments are good enough. And then I'd like to hit with marketing to get the word out about the ancient material um, because I don't want somebody like Gibson coming along and, you know, finding somebody with Sinker Cypress that they can buy it up. They can get a huge line of it. And then I get buried underneath it all for, and I'm, and I'm not trying to be prideful about it. Um, it's more of this is something, cause I need, I have three kids. I need to make a living with instruments. I'm not looking to do it with a hobby as a hobby. And I, you know, I, I refuse to sell any instruments until they are to a level of quality that I believe in. Um, you know, I've been doing furniture and other stuff for a long time. I stand behind my pricing and I stand behind my products and I warranty my products. And I won't do that with instruments until I feel comfortable doing it. Um, and so I was really concerned that, you know, big box instrument world was going to come in and, and steal my thunder and, and I'd have a hard time trying to market it. Um, and Tom and Virgil both were like, you're crazy. Just, just push it. And Tom had been saying, have you contacted Richard? Have you contacted Richard? Have you contacted? And I said, no, I haven't. I keep forgetting. Contact Richard. Richard is, has been on the forefront of sustainability for almost 50 years. He's always been a proponent. He's super nice. Contact Richard. I'd say, okay, I'm going to contact Richard. And then a month would go by and Tom would say, have you contacted Richard? And I say, no. <laughs> so uh, eventually I contacted, uh, I contacted them um, and, you know, I had a, a really nice, and as y'all know, I can talk. Um, I had a really nice, I think it was me, Richard, and Brenda, his office manager. Um, and I feel like it was a two-hour conversation. Um, and halfway through the conversation, Brenda says, so I feel like you are just a young Richard. <laughs> and Richard and I were just, you know, back and forth and back and forth. And, oh, man, well, you got to tell me this story about this. And I said, like, oh, OK, and, you know, rabbit hole after rabbit hole. Um, and so they loved it. We decided, all right, let's get this many sets. And, you know, the, the thing with my I, I after reading, you know, and I, I, know, I know there are luthiers out there who have read hundreds and hundreds of books, but I feel like I think I'm around 50 or so books on instrument building focus on steel string and tone woods because there's always just little sections on tone woods um and um you know i forgot yeah i have no idea where i was going (laughs) (laughs) well we I, I, I'm feeling like we've uh, we're going to run into limits as to whether or not we can post this as a podcast. I don't know how long, <laughs> how long we can possibly go, but uh, this is just yeah, wonderful. It. I was going to say, I think that um, I'm really looking forward to finding out what Santa Cruz is going to do with this material and to actually hear it for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to ask if you happen to have a piece like stashed under your bench there where you are or something just so that you can show people yes hold on (laughs) and uh, anytime anytime you you we we talk with people that have a wood problem yeah um you know this this is a prime example (laughs) this is not what i would call supermaster Or anything fancy. Yeah. Looks beautiful, though. This is some of the... This is 1,650 years underwater. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what they build out of that. That's got to be gorgeous stuff. And so they they have some of this tree. Um, I think that, you know, right now, introducing to the world um, the the non-greened stuff looks very very similar to like some western red cedar okay um it has orangey orangey tones 
um, dark, dark honeys, stuff like that. <clears throat> right now, the only interest I've gotten from anyone is because it's green and it's reminiscent and it green to a gray blue, very reminiscent of that one ancient Sitka log that was found. Yeah. Yeah. Um, color visual, visual wise, you know, cause it's a hell of a thing to put a green top on something that's been blonde white, you know, and, 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 or shellac, shellac yellowed oranged for so long. Um, and it's a, it's a hard design element to, to, to mix into stuff. Um, so my, my thoughts on it are to introduce bald cypress as a alternate species um, with a focus on, you know, the, the sinker. So we're not actually cutting trees down, but not going, I'm not talking about going into a waterway and pulling 300 logs out of one spot. It's going in the, the way my diver does it. He goes in and he's super selective. He can see underwater in our really dirty water, um, somehow with, with feel. And so can the, the diver from the, that was at the mill. It's amazing what these guys can do underwater. Um, but it's it's one in a thousand logs are ancient if if that so you know it's it's a lot of looking it's a lot of legwork to find something that is ancient with um i've got a stack sitting next to where i pulled this from that is 400 year old material and it's beautiful um and it's just as good as this but it's not ancient and so nobody cares you know, um, uh, uh, about the 400 years. So trying to, trying to introduce, um, that, and that's something that Richard's talked, you know, talked to, talked to him about. I was lucky enough when they got their material, I said, well, you know, I don't know, as I said, I'm not social. Um, how about I fly all the material out? And so I flew all the material out to California, delivered it there. And then I got to spend a couple of days with the Santa Cruz, uh, Cruz guitar crew, which was awesome. Um, and Richard and I played, well, we didn't play, we were doing inventory. I got to help Richard do his inventory in his wood vault, which was, you know, that is one of the highlights of like 10 years. Um, as well as, you know, I'd never been to a, an old growth redwood forest, never been on the West coast. And Richard and I went for almost four hours and wandered through redwood forest, just he and I. And so I think I, two or three days I got to spend with the crew out there, um, <clears throat> And it, you know, it was, it was fantastic. So, you know, baby stepping through this, um, when they launch at NAM, um, I, I get to be out there for that and, and get to socialize. That'll be my socializing for 2024. Um, are you going to be in the, are you going to be in the house? Yeah. Uh-huh. Be careful. <laughs> oh, <laughs> the party people. We'll talk about it after. We'll talk about it. After. Okay. We'll talk about it off. Um, I I did get a chance to play that um, uh, ancient Sitka guitar yeah. that they built. Yeah, it, oh, it cool. was. It, it was truly magic to have it in your hands, and just inspiring to yeah. you. I ha I have a little bit of a wood problem. I I I worked on a documentary, actually created a documentary um of a guy who's creating surfboards uh, and we we did the uh we did the 284 foot uh redwood that fell in 1964 owned by the university of california and these guys hand harvested it 284 feet took them three years they lived at 7700 feet you know and hand and hand pulled it out with horses yeah you know, and that's how they got the job is everybody else said you know well we're going to make a road 50 feet on this side of it 50 feet on this side of it and we're going to bring in all that and they went no we'll just drag it out with horses and they, they they got the job but to have that wood in your hand you can just feel the vibrations from it you know you mm -hmm. you, you really can it's three thousand years old and, and and that's that's nothing compared to other stuff but it, it it is very special and i think it's just fantastic that you guys hooked up yeah. uh you will you will thoroughly enjoy now um yeah. bring your I'm, I'm excited wear, 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 wear a cup and uh bring uh <laughs> and bring and bring your earphones you know but um and maybe maybe uh reflective glasses for sure <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> but Aaron, this is this has been unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, I, I just feel like I've been dipped in. I've been dipped in a, a you know, some kind of a, a tree vat and and pulled <laughs> pulled out of it with with all this amazing. What a story! Yeah, it's 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 fun, you know. It's and it's, it. I think it's really really cool, you know. I I I've always like growing up. I liked reading encyclopedias and I liked reading about Egyptian history, and that was what I would do as a, as a as a young kid. And <clears throat> we're so far removed from that time that going to a museum is is really 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 cool, um, but. You know, like th this material, the, the first one that I radiocarbon dated, it was ancient. Um, the tree was 250, 300 years old and, you know, would have been a sapling around ground zero year one. Yeah. And so, you know, like Tom and I have dubbed it the Jesus wood. Um, and it's just crazy to think about that. You know, that some of these trees that though they might have fallen, you know, 1700 years ago, they were 500 years old at that time. And I've got samples of stuff that's 65 to 85 rings an inch. And you look at yeah. it and you're just like, what? Like, how? That is so yeah. crazy. And it's clear. There's no pin knots. There's no nothing. It's just clear. You're like the forest that this came from is is astounding. You walk through anything now and you're hitting branches going through it, you know, and so it's really neat to with what we have today like the, the 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 bald cypress forests were pretty much gone by about 1905 which is why i think when the adirondacks started running out gibson and martin went to sitka and never and they also were old world mentality but they you know there was no bald cypress at the time that would have been easily loggable that we could have said hey let's supplement for a new species um yeah. So it's a neat tie to an ancient history, like tangible, hands-on. And then you can kind of, I like figuring out like what was going on. Oh, the, the Romans <laughs> were leaving Hayden's wall when, you know, when this tree fell. Um, and it's, it's, it's super cool. And I'll continue to ramble and ramble and ramble. If only, if only the British had decided to build guitars rather than. Right. There you go. Yeah. One of the shape, one of the shapers in, in this film describes when he's sanding. And he said, you know, when I'm sanding this stuff, I feel like I'm breathing air that's 2,000 years old. Yeah. He said, like, like if you were a, if you were a um, archaeologist and you walked into a tomb that hadn't been opened up for 3,000 years, that's what you're doing. And, right. you know, it, 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 I mean, when you're releasing, when you're finishing this, mm -hmm. you are, you are, you are back in time. Well, it's, it's so, pretty cool. You, if you look through some of my Instagram stuff, you can see I will post shots of right when I've resawn. And, you know, despite <clears throat> long cellular structure and all of that, they're still interlocked. So mm. when you cut open the board, that is oxidation. It might be those cells cut directly in half, but it's oxidation yeah. to the, that to that for the first time ever. And in, I've seen rainbows of yellows and purples and all of this, but every time I open, I'm like, this is so cool because this is, you know, thousands of years have been trapped in this little thing um, that I'm opening up. And um, Virgil, the cypress has a, a kind of sweet smell. Some of the logs can have like a swampy, sickly smell while they're wet. But then once they dry, it's a, it's a sweet scent. And Virgil was joking with me that he wanted to figure out a way to take his sawdust and shavings and turned it into a cologne to start offering in southern France. Uh, and then everybody could wear the, the you know, ancient, ancient perfume. Odela tree. Yeah. Um, th th thank you for your time, Aaron. Thanks for having me. We, we really appreciate it. Tad, you got Absolutely. anything? Uh, no, I think that, I think this has been a fantastic talk. I mean, Aaron, yeah. I'd like to talk to you afterwards about some of those uh, Cypress sets. I've got a friend who I think uh, would be a very good person to uh, try a couple of those out. So cool. yeah. um, I'll, I'll yeah. give you a call after we do this. So, okay. Um, yeah. Okay. Cool. I, uh, I, I say goodbye, everybody, and let yeah. you guys go. Okay. All right, gentlemen. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thank you so much.
We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at scgcpf or santacruzguitarplayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell, or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar. <laughs>